Hey guys, Norm here. I hope that this podcast episode finds you well, no matter what you're doing, whether you are on the way to work, walking the dog, whether you are in the shower, whether you're grocery shopping, whatever it is. I hope that today is heading in the right direction for you. Speaking of the right direction, I wanted to give just a tiny heads up about this podcast episode. So in this podcast episode, I talk about the topics of alcohol and drinking and in particular being drunk. So if you are listening with young ones or with family and that's not a topic you want them to be subjected to at this point, perhaps save this episode for later. If you're okay with that topic, then jump right in. I will say that I'm not saying that I'm advocating drinking and alcohol through this podcast episode. I always recommend that you drink responsibly today more than anything. It's going to be a collection of stories from my time here in Japan. Anyways, I'm not going to give away the whole farm right now. Let's roll that intro music and get things started. So welcome to the Tokyo Lens Podcast. And as always, if you are a regular listener, welcome back. I am really glad to have you guys here today. Today's episode is going to be a collection of stories. You see, in Japan, it is completely legal to walk down the street with a beer or a whiskey or whatever you want. Basically, drinking and to a certain degree, even being drunk in public are not a big deal in Japan. Criminally, that is. By contrast, I'm from Canada and in Canada, it's it's literally, you can't even go outside while drunk. Um, now, for the most part, you probably won't get in trouble, but there are laws against public drunkenness. For the most part, these laws are for, you know, if people get crazy or violent or something like that. But the idea of drinking a beer or anything outside is unheard of. And so when my brothers or family members or friends visit from Canada, I always like to start their visit by just grabbing a, a light drink from a convenience store out in public because it's an experience that they wouldn't have back home. But along with this type of experience comes a lot of craziness. You see, we've all seen the pictures or sometimes videos, whether it be on Twitter or Instagram, YouTube, whatever, of people in Japan, both Japanese and non-Japanese passed out on the trains or maybe even on the streets. And sometimes it's a hilarious image, but sometimes you kind of have to know when to eject yourself from the situation. Now, there are stories that I won't be sharing in this episode that are, you know, a little more serious that I've shared in other episodes. I kind of want to keep to funny or interesting stories in today's episode. And yes, one of those stories, very similarly to what I'm guessing I probably titled this episode, is about a Japanese man who was fairly drunk, tried to start a fight with me, and then ended up kind of trying to 
befriend me, but there, there are several, so I think I've got like maybe four five, six different stories today. And again, before I jump into them, I just want to say, remember to always drink responsibly. In fact, I've found that like, you know, me, I've been in Japan now well over 10 years, came for the first time 14, almost 15 years ago. And I drink out and about a lot less now than I used to, but I want to start with the very first ever story, which was my first ever drunken night in Tokyo. So let's go back to 2005. Let me let me paint the scene for you. I had just spent several months in Japan and it was my very, very first trip on my way. And now for the basically the second half of my trip, I spent it in Yamaguchi Prefecture in a city known as Shimonoseki. Now, Shimonoseki is the southmost point, I guess southwestmost point of the main island of Honshu. And it connects to what's called the Kanmon Canal. I can't even remember the name of the canal. Basically, there's a canal that separates the island of Honshu from the island of Kyushu. And there's like a, a mountain there and everything. I, I spoke about the area a little bit in a previous podcast, but I had spent the majority of my time there. And in my last, I think, 48 hours, I went back to Tokyo so that I could catch the train from, not the train, I could catch my flight from Narita. Man, that would be a long train. So on my last ever night in Japan, I did something that I hadn't actually spent a lot of time doing during my first trip. I went out for drinks. Um, now, I'm not the biggest drinker in the world. Uh, when I, I guess I, I'm, I'd be normal. When, when I drink, I drink. When I don't, I don't. Um, for most situations, it was like social occasions and stuff like that. And at this period of my life, I rarely to never drank. And so I got together with a Japanese friend of mine named Takeshi. And Takeshi and I were good friends from back in Canada where he went to university. He was now back in Japan. We were just hanging out and spending the time together. So this night, we decided to go bar hopping. We hit up a bunch of interesting bars and we had a bunch of interesting drinks. I think the very first bar we hit up had like a giant Buddha statue in it. And somewhere around the third bar, I don't even remember what we had. It was absinthe mixed with something else and they lit it on fire. And it was after that that my memory started to get a little wonky. And you see, I don't typically forget stuff when I drink, but the, the rest of the night kind of came in in parts. And so the next part that I remember was a man being dragged down the street by the police with no pants on. And I remember finding this rather humorous and my friend Takashi being like, don't look, don't look, don't look. This is Japan. Don't look. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. And I'm like peeking through my fingers. <laughs> and he's like, seriously, don't look. Let's go. Let's go. And the, the, the pinnacle of this story is really what had happened the next morning. You see, 
Partway through the evening, we met up with one of Takeshi's friends and the, we continued our little bar hopping. But then I remember I woke up in the morning the day I was to leave for my flight. I was in Takeshi's apartment sleeping on the bed and I was surrounded and I mean surrounded by bags of snacks, chips, and several things of melted ice cream. And I was so incredibly confused. This was, this was not like three people amount of like snacks. This was like, there was a full party and there were just snacks everywhere. And so I found my buddy Takashi and I was like, Takashi, what in the world is going on with all these snacks? And he's like, do you, do you really not remember? I was like, no, 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 I don't. And he's like, well, last night, the last thing that we did was swing by a convenience store. And at this convenience store, every time that you looked at a particular snack or chips or ice cream or whatever it was, my friend would be like, hey, are you interested in that? I'll get it for you. And it all came flowing back to me. And now I think any of us in this situation would do the normal thing of being like, no, 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 you don't need to get that for me. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But I suppose in my drunken state, I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Not paying attention to anything and literally woke up in the morning surrounded by what was, I'm guessing, 30 plus bags of snacks and at least five to six melted ice creams. So luckily, in my bag, I had a whole bunch of souvenirs from Canada that I hadn't managed to like give away to anybody. And I offered to pay the guy for the snacks. He absolutely refused. And so I gave him a bunch of souvenirs from Canada and said, thank you so much. I, I was, you know, I, I'd love to thank him for the memories, but unfortunately I don't have any. Um, I haven't gotten through all my tapes from my first trip to Canada yet, but I'm pretty sure that when I get to there, it, it'll be in there. So that was my very first ever experience of me drinking in Japan. And that is probably the most mild story out of all of these stories. You see, because a couple years later, when I moved to Japan, I was walking the streets one night with a friend. We were celebrating how we had both just moved to Japan, him and I. We were very, very happy and excited. And we went out, we had a couple drinks, we were walking around, just having a great time. And we found a cell phone. Now, Japan being Japan, we were like, we, we felt like we had an opportunity here. Because for those of you who don't know, Japan has a relatively low crime rate. And if you lose an item, more often than not, you are likely to find that item or, you know, get it returned to you. Now, the system for this is typically you find the item and you take it to a kobam or a police box. But you see, we were very new in Japan and we did not know that you could take an item to the police box. We did not know that this was a thing. It was either that or I, th I think I had a, an inkling of it, to be completely honest. But I was also not the most comfortable with the idea of going up to the police box completely drunk. And I didn't want to wait until the next morning. So we decided, you know what, we're going to get this back to this person tonight. We're, we're going to get this phone back to them. And so 
we did what we thought was the right thing at the time. And we opened it up as a flip phone and we went through the contacts and we found what seemed to be that person's mother. It said like, you know, Okasa. And we're like, perfect. And we tried giving a call and nothing. So, okay, then let's take a look at the most dialed number. That'll probably be this person's best friend or something. And we tried giving a call and again, nothing. And so I think we tried calling two or three people and absolutely nothing. We, it was probably two o'clock in the morning. We were very tired. We ended up just going to sleep and we're like, you know what? We will take it to the you know police box or we'll, we'll deliver it somewhere. We'll get it all sorted out in the morning. I think for some reason, my buddy was like, we'll take it to the post office. I, I don't know why. Again, we were inebriated. And so we actually woke up fairly early in the morning and we woke up because the phone was ringing and I instantly jumped. I was like, oh, the person has finally got someone to call their phone. And I answered the phone and they're like, who is this? And I was like, uh, my name is Norm. I found this phone yesterday and they instantly cut me off. They're like, you didn't find this phone. You stole it. And I was like, no, 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 no. I, I, I didn't steal it. We, we found it. We actually called this person's mother. We, we called their, well, we're assuming their best friends and they, I got cut off again and they're like, nope, you stole the phone. We are going to find you and you're going to be arrested. And I'm like, I, I'm listen, there's clearly a miscommunication here. Let's get this all sorted out. Who are you? And like, well, I am the boss of the young lady whose phone you found. And I'm like, okay, do, do you work at a company? I could just probably drop it off there. She's like, well, we work at a convenience store and we know that you stole the phone from her bag. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I can tell you exactly where it was. We were like near so-and-so station, just around the corner in front of a vending machine where we had just actually purchased a delicious caramel drink, but that's a story for another time. And we found it right in front of the vending machine. So if she stopped to buy something at a vending machine yesterday, that's where it was. It was right there on the street. And she's like, no, no, uh, you stole it and we're going to track you down and you're going to jail. And she was relentless. She would not let up. And it was basically this over and over and over. I was like, I can I can get it to you. Just let me know where to drop it off. And she's like, well, go to the Cobham. Go to the police box. It has been reported. So do be prepared that when you drop it off, they will be expecting you. And more than likely, you will be arrested. I got so scared and paranoid. It was first thing in the morning. I was hungover. I was 99% sure that I accurately remembered the events of the night before. I knew that we found it, but I was like, did, did we call all the right people? Did we take all the right steps? Should, should we have dropped it off somewhere last? And I just started questioning everything and panicking. And at that point, I, I explained to my buddy what was going on. He panicked just as much. And so... Long story short, we spent the better part of the day, an entire day, just got flushed down the toilet because we didn't know what to do. We wanted to get this phone returned because that that's somebody's phone. Like your entire life is in your phone. Like there's pro actually come to think of it. I don't even think we took a look through the pictures or anything, but there's you know, you've got all your pictures, you've got your friends, you got your contacts, your, your life lives in your phone. And so we're like, we, we've got to get this back, but we 
don't know how serious the threat of us being arrested is. And we literally just got to Japan. So we're like, the risk is way too high here. What are we doing? We're coming up with all these ideas. And my buddy's like, well, why don't we just like leave it on a train or like all these other things. And long story short, we ended up just leaving the phone in a place where it would be found by somebody else. And to this day, to this day right now in 2019, when I'm making this podcast, that kind of bothers me. I I was really, I feel like we should have just taken it back, but we didn't. We were so scared. We were so young. I think this was probably almost 10 years ago because it was, it wasn't even like an iPhone or anything like that. It was still in the time where everybody used flip phones and the level at which that woman was aggressive on the phone and threatening us and being like, well, you sound like a foreigner. You're going to get deported. Everything like all the worst fears of someone who just arrived in Japan were like flooding into us. And I think I don't even remember specifically where we left it, but I think we left it somewhere. We're like, okay, someone will find it here. They'll take it into the Koban and that will be that. Not even thinking that like maybe, maybe that, they probably weren't even waiting like in retrospect. Like, it's not like they're like, oh, there's this one phone in all of Japan that's been lost or assumed stolen. And we're going to catch that one person when they inevitably turn it into the Koban. Like, realistically looking that that probably wasn't the case but you see had had we not been drinking at the time we probably would have just been like oh let's rock up to the goban and just drop it off and we would have been done by the way a really useful piece of information for those of you who don't know if you do find a lost item or you find lost cash or basically anything that you need to turn into the goban there's a couple different approaches you can take. Obviously, you can just drop it off the Koban and go. Um, And in that case, they'll ask you if you want to fill out a form. Now, the form is usually like, you know, in case the person wants to thank you, or it's basically, do you want the person to know who found it so that if they want to thank you, they have the option. And if you're like, yes, I I want that credit, um, then you fill out the form and there you go. There's also the option to, I think, have your information registered so that if the item or whatever it is in question has not been picked up in several months, I believe it's three months or six months, do not quote me. Uh, For example, if you were to find a large sum of cash, I've once found cash in Ueno Park. I found like an Ichimayen bill, which is 10,000 yen, about $100 in Ueno Park and turned it into the Koban. Uh, After that, my friend was like, so did did you register your name and everything for it? And I'm like, no, why, why would I do that? And he was like, oh, dude, you should have done it. If nobody claimed that, that particular bill uh, in a certain period of months, you could have gone back and said, I turned this in a few months ago. I'd like to receive it. Mind you, cash being cash. I'm sure there's somebody who walks up to the Koban every day and says, hey, I lost this Ichimayan bill here in Ueno. Has anybody turned it in? Pretty easy way to get money, I guess. So I I don't think I ever would have gotten it. But yeah, so you have the option to receive credit for what you have turned in and potentially own that item in the future or 
And just, I'm, I'm assuming, honestly, that filling out the paperwork would be lengthy and time consuming. I've never done it. I've turned in a few items over the years and it's usually just like, no, here's where I found it. Here's the date and time and everything. They kind of want to get some information from you that way when a person comes to pick it up, they can say, I lost it here at this date and time and maybe those will link up. Um, but I'm usually just like, no, um, I, d I don't need my name or I don't need the item. So there you go. Anyways, that was a pretty big sidebar. Sorry. Um, moving on from that one little mini adventure of finding a cell phone to, I think, maybe the, the, the second most exciting story in today's podcast episode. So this story is about a Japanese man who tried to fight me and then ended up trying to befriend me. Now, this is actually a very, very simple story. And it's a story that I really, really like. And I wasn't actually drinking in this story, but he was. So it was, I think, February, early to mid-February, somewhere around 2011. Now, I was on my way home at the time. I... I think I was living either Asaksa or somewhere uh, nearby. And as I came out of the station, there, there was a gentleman walking towards me. It was snowing pretty heavy that day. And we were on an incredibly narrow sidewalk with cars going beside us. So we both had umbrellas because Tokyo's snow can be very, very wet, which as somebody from Canada walking around in the snow with an umbrella feels very strange. In Canada, the, the snow is cold and dry, and I don't think I've ever seen anybody use an umbrella. But as we passed each other, I tried to move over to the wall, and he just kind of went right through with his umbrella. And you could tell in that moment that he, he was drunk. He was kind of stumbling. And I turned around just to like check if he was okay. He took about three more steps and he fell. He slipped on the ice and he just went down. I went over to ask if he was okay and he kind of lost it. He got really upset. He's like, you pushed me. I was like, dude, 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 you fell long after you passed me. And he's like, no, nope, no. And he like grabbed, I, I think I was wearing a suit at the time. And he grabbed my suit. I think he threw my umbrella. I had no idea what was going on. And so I just like looked at him and I put my hands on his shoulders and I said, are you okay in English? And I just like kind of cut out the Japanese, put my hands on his shoulders. I was like, are you okay? And he switched to English and he's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm drunk. <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes. I, I noticed that you're drunk. That that's, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I think I fell down. And I was like, yeah, I think you did. And he's like, I was too aggressive. And I was like, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. And he's like, no, I'm very sorry. And he just started apologizing and apologizing. And you could tell he was actually a really nice guy who I think just got caught up in the drunken moment. And then he turns to me and he's like, you know what? Let's, let's go get a beer. You and me right now. 
And I, I considering the <laughs> the 180 degree turn that had just happened in a matter of like 10 seconds from angry and grabbing me to let's grab a beer. I was like, hmm, I don't entirely feel the safest going out to drink with somebody who can 180 that quickly. So I was like, I'm okay. Thank you. Please get home safely. And he's like, oh yeah, it's it's fine. You live near here? And I was like, oh my God, I don't want to tell him where I live. I was like, yeah, I, I live fairly nearby. And he's like, me too, we're neighbors. And I was like, ah, yay. And he's like, okay, neighbor, let's get a beer. And he just wouldn't let it go. Long story short, we ended up just shaking hands and patting each other on the shoulder saying, have a good night. I figured it was probably better that he didn't have any beer that night. We went on our ways separately. And for years, I had a story to tell of just turning around and, you know, turning that situation of him. I don't even think he was a bad guy, to be honest. I think maybe he, he was having a bad day or maybe, you know, he just got caught up in, in the moment of being drunk. But you, you smile at him and you say, are you okay? And he just turns into this nice, friendly guy who wants to have a drink with you. And that year after year is still a memory that I go back to because I just, I like, although I didn't like how quickly there was like a 180 flip, it did kind of freak me out. I like that it ended on a positive note. Um, and it's something that I've said really often in the content that you have the opportunity to affect a positive outcome on a situation that might not seem positive at first. It's all too easy to be like, oh, this, this, this situation is just up the creek without a paddle, just screwed. But more often than not, um, I've had, I've had situations like, you know, I was on the train a couple days ago. It was a very, very crowded train. And as I got on the train, everyone was like shoving and everything like that. And I found myself face to face with this gentleman in a suit who looked pissed off. He looked angry. And I just kind of gave a gentle smile and nod and his entire demeanor just kind of mellowed out. And he got like this half smile on his face. And I, you know, it was, it's golden week here in Japan, which is a one week long, basically just holiday. And he was in a suit, which means he had to work during golden week. So I can understand him probably not being the happiest camper in the world, but that that single moment where I, I could have been like, oh man, this guy looks angry. I'm just going to shut him out. Uh, but instead did, did the whole smile and, you know, gentle nod thing seemed to put a smile on his face. So who knows? Maybe it's all in my head, <laughs> but I hope that his day was a little bit better from that point on. So I, there's, there's two more stories for sure that I want to share with you guys today. The first of which is actually surprisingly not that much of like a, a drunken story, but it, it sounds like one. So how can I put this? The story itself is of the kind of thing you would expect to happen when someone was drunk, but I wasn't actually drunk. So let me get into the story to explain. So there was a time that I was on the first train on the Ginza line and I was heading from Asakusa to Shibuya. Now first train is somewhere around five o'clock in the morning and it's not uncommon if you have ever taken the first train in Japan 
This, the first train and the last train are the two trains where you are most likely to see drunken people passed out somewhere on the train. And I, for the first only and last time, was one of those people passed out on the train on the Ginza line on first train. Now, the, the, the hook to it, though, is I wasn't, I wasn't drunk, but I'm pretty sure everybody thought I was. You see, here's what happened. So I had a meeting out on the other side of Tokyo. I, to this day, I cannot remember what for. But I knew that in order to make it there on time and give myself a little leeway, I would need to take the very first train from Asakusa, which is the Ginza line. Now, a little context, the Ginza line goes from Asakusa station to Shibuya station and basically just bounces back and forth. Um, there's like, I don't know, 18, 20 some odd stations in between the two, and it's about a 30 minute ride end to end. But you see this morning that I woke up, I had what I thought was a cold and it was quite a head cold. And this cold would later on turned out to not actually be a cold, but it was influenza. I had the flu and I had no idea because I think this was like one of my first times in my life to ever catch the flu. And so I got on the train. I was very delirious, very lightheaded. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I've got a bit of a cold. I'm going to put on a mask. So I put on a mask and I remember being about two or three stops away from Shibuya, just trying to stay awake. I was trying so hard to stay awake. My eyes were red and droopy. I just, I, I was like, I can't pass out. I'm almost there. And then next thing I know, I heard an announcement for a success station. And I was like, wait, what, what is going on here? And so I, I opened my eyes because clearly I had passed out. I looked up at the sign and I was going in the opposite direction. I was still on the train. I hadn't gotten off or anything, but I was about to arrive at a success station. I had actually passed out on the train and bounced all the way back. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to stay on the train. I left early enough that even if I like, like like 45 minutes to an hour behind, I should still arrive pretty much just on time. I like to give myself a lot of leeway when I go somewhere that I've never been. And so I just stayed on the train and started heading back towards Shibuya. And again, the same thing happened, except this time I, I didn't even like make it anywhere near Shibuya. I think I was like halfway through the, the Ginza line, somewhere at the midpoint, like Ginza or Shimbashi. And I was like, oh, geez, I, I, I fell asleep. And I, I looked up and I was like, okay, good, good. I'm still at like Ginza or Shimbashi. And then I realized that the, the next station brought me closer to Asakusa. And even closer. And I, I realized, oh, I had passed out again. I'd actually gone all the way back and forth. Now, you see, if you were to pass out heading towards Asakusa and the train bounces back, the, it just kind of stops on the platform in Asakusa, collects more people and goes back. But when you get to Shibuya, the train actually kind of docks in an area that customers can't be in, which means I think 
if I'm not mistaken, the train staff probably tried to get me off the train and wake me up each time and were unable to do so. And it was around the time of me realizing this, that I realized this probably isn't just a cold and I should probably just turn in for the day. So I did not attempt a third ride back in that direction. Instead, I picked up my bag with great embarrassment, just knowing, just knowing that the train staff had most definitely seen me on that platform twice or on that train twice when it docked at Shibuya and tried to get me off the train and failed. And I was like, I cannot risk going back there a third time. I got off the train. I think I went to the doctor, found out that I had the flu and spent probably the next, I don't know, couple of weeks to a month just welling and just so embarrassed feeling like, oh my God, I definitely look like I was this drunk foreigner going home like towards Shibuya or something on the first train and just passed out like a jerk. I to this day, it's kind of an embarrassing memory. And like, I just wish that I had a sign that says like, I'm not drunk, I'm sick or something like that. I make it a point to not fall asleep on trains in Tokyo, just because, you know, who wants to fall asleep on the train in Tokyo? I know I've done another piece of content about how for people who do fall asleep on trains in Tokyo, that's one of the reasons they have the jingles at the different stations so that a person will recognize their station by the sound and be triggered to wake up and get off the train, which has actually over the years proven to be very, very effective. Um, and I don't know, maybe because I lived in Asakusa every time I got close to Asakusa and heard the word or any of the music, maybe that triggered me to wake up. But yeah, so that was, uh, that was, that was an unfortunate situation, but we are going to get into the last story of today, which is by far my favorite of all these stories. It's also by far probably one of the more embarrassing of all these stories. And I definitely come off as an idiot, as a complete foreign moron. I had just moved to Japan, like with all my stuff. It was 2000. And seven. And to tell this story, I'm going to need to give just a tiny bit of background, 10 to 15 seconds. There's two things you're going to need to know. Number one, at this time, I could kind of speak a bit of Japanese, but outside of hiragana and katakana, I couldn't really read. And number two, I knew nothing of Japanese products. Um, this is kind of something that I didn't really think of would be that that big of an impact when I came to Japan, but being unfamiliar with products and brands had an impact on me quite a few times. And this was one of those times. So this is actually a story I've been thinking about doing a video on for some time. We'll loop back to that. But what it was is I was, I think on somewhere around my first or second week, I was living in a Saksa and I woke up and I thought, you know what? I have the entire day to myself. I have nothing planned. I am jet lagged. I have woken up at like five or six in the morning. I am going to learn about this area by going out and going jogging. 
And I, I that, that, that was probably the only good idea that I had that day. Uh, I went out and I went jogging. And I'd say probably about an hour into the jog, I found myself in Ueno's Ameyoko. Now, for those of you who don't know Ameyoko, Ameyoko is a set of narrow streets, pretty much all parallel in the Ueno area, that is basically just a long market. But the thing is, if you have never been to Ameyoko before, it all looks the same. The very first time you go, it doesn't matter which direction you look, every street looks the same. If you're not familiar with Japanese architecture and buildings and, you know, all the shop names and everything that you see around you, you everywhere you look, you're like, oh, look, Japan, that's, that's all you see. And so I got in Damioko. I was pretty lost already, but I was like, eh, I can literally just pick any direction and start jogging and I'll be out of here. And I was fairly comfortable at the time because in Tokyo, if you do end up getting lost, you're never that far from a station. And there's usually like physical maps posted on the street. So I thought even if I get lost today... I can just check one of the maps or just find a train station and train my way home. That's no problem. And But at, uh, about an hour into this jog, I was very, very thirsty. So I stopped at a convenience store and all I knew is that I wanted something big and something like fruity. And so I'm looking through all the drinks in my tired jogging haze and I was like, you know what? I just want some fruit juice. And I'm looking at that the bottles, like the plastic bottles, pet bottles, as they're called in Japan. And there was lots of tea and there was like coffee and stuff like that, but there wasn't really any juice. And I, I was like, okay, well, I see some cans over here. And the cans had like oranges and lemons and grapefruits and everything on them. And they had large cans too. So I was like, yes, I, I'm guessing you're probably already figuring out where I'm going with this. But in case you haven't, um, another small piece of information that's important to know, maybe, I don't know, is in Canada, we don't typically drink alcohol out of cans. Like there, there are definitely cans of beer, but I'm from the like Toronto-ish area of Tokyo and, and Tokyo, Canada. And more often than not, our all alcohol comes in bottles, like beer bottles or glass bottles. And so it was very unassuming that what I was picking up would have been anything other than juice. And it definitely was not juice. I, in fact, I think it might have even said like strong on the uh, on the can. And I was like, ah, oh, good. I, I want something that's, you know, like strong fruit flavors. <laughs> I don't even know. And I was very, very thirsty because I had just jogged, I don't know, like a couple kilometers, four or five or something. I got out of the shop. I opened up this can and I started downing it. And I think I got a good like one third to halfway through the can before it hit me. I realized like it, this, this is not juice. I have most definitely not just purchased, but in great speed, just drank a large quantity of alcohol first thing in the morning on an empty stomach 
after jogging in an area that I'm already lost in. I very promptly made my way to the garbage can, threw out the can, and made my way back into the shop. I was like, you know, I'm just going for water. You you can't get water wrong, can you? And so I went in, I bought a bottle of water. I uh, downed that bottle of water. The, the alcohol started to hit. I think I downed another bottle of water just trying to like clear things up. And in the long run, by the way, I'm not sure if those two bottles of water helped, but I guarantee you they they definitely definitely cause more problems. We'll get to that. And so now the situation is I've been near that convenience store for a good probably eight to 10 minutes after drinking this. I'm, I'm a little nervous to like separate from that spot because it's become a little bit of a comfort zone in an area that I don't know. Uh, it doesn't matter what direction I look, everything looks exactly the same. And I'm, I'm nervous. And so I'm like, okay, well, just, just follow your original plan. Find a map or find a station. And so I, I decide to start separating from the convenience store. But I'm about five minutes into searching for a map when the water hits. And I've really got to go to the washroom. So I make my way back to the convenience store. And this kind of happens two or three times in a row. Because once you've gone to the washroom once after drinking, you've pretty much got to go again and again. And so I think after two or three trips back to the convenience store and the staff looking very concerned about this, this poor young, I think I was like 20 years old or something like that. Like, you know, North American guy who just downed a bunch of alcohol and keeps coming back to use the washroom. They're, they're genuinely looking concerned as they look at me. I finally make it out of there, but I find myself wandering Amayoko for kind of an extended period of time, um, at which point I somehow managed to make my way into Ueno Park, which I've been to before, but this was my first time to truly, truly explore the park. And it was not under the best of conditions. By the time I made it to the park, I think it was almost like 11 o'clock, at least 10.30 in the morning. And I was like, I know the station is near here, but I also don't really want to approach somebody and ask them where the station is because like, again, there I am. It's like a Tuesday morning or something like that. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that, you know, non-Japanese, like it looks like a traveler who is all decked out in jogging clothes and drunk at 10 o'clock in the morning in Ueno Park. That's that's not a great image to have. And so I'm like, I'm going to get this all figured out by myself. Now, in, in my mind anyway, I feel like I'm typically rather composed. Like I don't walk crazy. I don't get all like loud or anything. If anything, when I drink, I tend to get a little more quiet and, and reserved, I think. Um, my friends tend to say the same thing, so I'm going to believe it, but I, I, I was just like, stay composed, don't give away that you're drunk and just find the station. Now, Ueno Park is kind of 
uh, separated into a few different spots. There's the, the the main park area. There's an area up above where there's like a temple. And that's like a second level to the park. And then there's like a big open space that leads to like museums and stuff like that. There is a shrine embedded right in the park that has a long stairwell that goes down it, which leads to a pond and like another like little temple down there. And I know all this because I discovered literally all of that on that day as I was searching for my way out. Long story, incredibly long story. I was going to say long story short, but there's nothing short about this at all. But that's okay. I'm going to own that because today's story time, right? So the getting to the point, I think I finally found my way back to the train somewhere around, I don't know, 1230, maybe 1 p.m., and then finally got back to my house because at the time I wasn't particularly living that close to the station and I had only been living in that place for about a week. And it was honestly the, the place that I lived um, in that first week. I had to ask people once or twice like, hey, do you know where this building is or this hotel is? My house is near there and I'm kind of lost. Um, and so finding my home, I, I don't think I got home finally until maybe 2.30 or 3 p.m. And I think I just stayed in that day and the next day and just kind of reflected on life and studied kanji, by the way, because had I been paying attention, I'm pretty sure the cans actually say on the bottom ALC period 5% or something like that. They probably did back then as well. I know that they do now, but again, in my fresh off the boat state, I didn't realize that. And it's kind of interesting that like when you come to Japan, you don't know what products or what and like which brands to trust and everything like that. Things really, really do look foreign to me. Now, if you were to put like a couple cans in front of me, some being juice and some being alcohol without even reading the labels, I'd be able to tell you on first look, that's a can of alcohol. That's a can of juice. But at the time, I really couldn't tell the difference and paid the price. And I've actually been thinking about doing a video on this for some time. Uh, if that's a video that you'd be willing or interested to see, uh, let me know on like Twitter or Instagram or even in the comments section of literally any video because I do read the comments of every video. Um, but I just, I've kind of delayed doing that as a YouTube video uh, because a I really want to do it well. I kind of want to do it as like as an entertaining, somewhat comical, just kind of story. And B, because it's a really, really stupid story. Like it's a really dumb thing that happened to just be able to admit like, hey, at one point in my life, I was this dumb. But I think all of us have these moments, these, I, 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 you know, uh, as my sister used to call them, airhead moments. All of us get... Uh, you know, a couple of those in our life, if not a year, a month, a week, a day, whatever it may be. And so I like that I can look back on this and kind of laugh. So if that's a story that you'd be interested in seeing the the more visual uh, depictation. Is that a word? I mean, I'm going to make it a word if it's not of, then definitely let me know. Uh, also, 
speaking of letting me know, I would love to know what you're thinking or how you're feeling about the flow of the podcast lately. Like if you are enjoying this, uh, it would actually, it would mean a lot to me if you would jump onto iTunes today, just like one minute, 30 seconds, even totally fine. And leave a little bit of a review for the podcast. Every single review that you guys leave helps me out a lot. It helps grow the podcast. It creates a lot of motivation for me to make new episodes and everything like that. And I definitely want to keep these coming really consistently. So thank you in advance. If you have a spare like 30 seconds today and you're willing to leave a review for the Tokyo Lens podcast, that would mean the world to me. Um, now, that being said, you guys know that after I talk about the reviews, I always like to share a little bit of gratitude when I can. So thank you so much for joining this story time today. I really didn't expect us to be getting anywhere close to an hour with this podcast. I was like, I've got a few quick stories that I want to share. So if you have stuck around to this point, it's kind of why I left my favorite story to the end. I hope that you enjoyed it. Again, uh, no matter what you are doing as you listen to this podcast, I hope that your day is great. I hope that this has added a little bit of value, perhaps a little bit of entertainment to your day. Thanks again for listening. And again, uh, if you have 30 seconds to leave a review, thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. And you know, I will talk to you again real soon. <laughs>